You're listening to the Irish Times. All Ireland semi-final week, but there is another interesting thing going on in football, Pat. This week there is indeed, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it's sort of over the last week, and we wouldn't really be touching on it. Like nobody really, in ordinary terms, cares about who the Wexford football manager is. <laughs> well, a small amount of people, even in Wexford, care about who the Wexford football manager is. Okay, fair enough. But it is, of course, Paul Galvin. And ordinarily, we wouldn't really be starting the podcast with this. But because we have the esteemed Damon Donoghue on our staff, who played under Paul Galvin in the underdogs, we decided we'd have you in to tell us about how this man is going to lead Wexford to the promised land. Yeah, to Leinster <laughs> and beyond. You loved you loved playing under him. You love you thought you. I remember talking to you around yeah. the time of the underdogs, and you said that you've never learned as much from anybody as you learned from Paul Galvin in those few months. Yeah, like football, every everything was. Um, he was the highlight of the underdogs experience. Um, like just kind of watching him as a person before anything else is mm. just he's just such an interesting guy. Um, like he's very very. He's he's very to himself, like, but he's 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 just you could literally watch him the way he goes around the place and conducts himself, and you, you can be like, that's why he was such a good footballer. As a coach, he's that is you're learning from him the entire time. He doesn't see the game like anyone else I've seen before. Like he has completely different views on, uh, like the the basics of the game for him is is kick passing. Like he he sees the game, you know, you've got to get through the field as quickly as possible through kicking. But he sees the match, you know, as, you know, if you're a left footer, you, if you, you've you got to use your left foot to kick to one side of the field, your right foot to kick to the other side of the field. Like, he's very particular mm-hmm. in the the kind of the finer details of the game. But he doesn't just kind of come out with a statement like that. Like, he'll show you a video of, like, clips and he's just so engrossed in it. Like, it's his... It's his life. Like it's it's football for him is isn't just a a hobby or anything. And he's finished playing now. But like it's just everything. So when you're involved with him, if you buy into him, he'll give you tenfold back. Mm. But like if you don't buy into him, he's the sort of person he wouldn't even he wouldn't even talk to you. Like so like with the underdogs, that was some of the lads kind of were quiet enough and they didn't kind of really fully. And I I'd say that probably some lads never spoke to him. But if you bought into him, he'd give you everything. Like. Um, you were kind of taken too, but how his approach wider was, uh, I would say, all enveloping. It was also kind of simplistic that he used to manage to get things across in a simple and direct way. Is yeah. like that his communication was good if he was communicating with you, I guess, from what you're saying there. Yeah, because uh, as I said, like what his idea of the game is, like he'll give you two or three things that he wants you to do, and then his general view of the game is it's very simplistic, but it is a simple game. Um, but it requires, if you want to play the game how he plays, it requires a higher skill level. And that was kind of a thing with the underdogs in that he was kind of trying to get the team to do something that, like a, Wexford will struggle to to execute if they have him all year practicing their skill levels. Like, you, you know, you need to be two-footed. You need to be a quality kick passer. Like, you, you, if you can't do those things, you're, you can't play his game. Mm. Um But he will practice them with you. Like, he'll go out and he'll do, like, some simple drills that he was doing with us is just just brilliant like absolutely brilliant like he had us doing a, a kick passing drill we were about 20 yards apart but like it was a 
like a pace drill that he used to do at the beginning of of every session and like it was stuff that he would practice himself the whole time and like your your kick your kick passing would improve tenfold um from him being involved and yeah he's not a fan of he's not a fan of hand passing and stuff like that but he's not old school like he understands you know the modern demands of the game and stuff like that um I would have seen him more of a coach than a manager, but you know nowadays with management teams, kind of you can come in as a coach and kind of. That's what's interesting. I was thinking of you over the weekend because I was reading his his column in the Sunday Times, and he was sort of saying, "I'm not the prototype uh, manager, blah blah blah." But I was thinking of you that I was wondering, were, were you surprised when you heard it? As in, I'd say you're not surprised that he's involved in intercounty football. Mm. That you know it would have been he'd have found himself in a setup somewhere at some stage. Are you surprised that he has gone to manage a Division 4 team? Um, I think he fits what Wexford are looking for in as far as they need kind of someone a big profile to match what they have in the hurling. Um, and I'd say they would have went gone hole for him. Um, he's nothing to lose there. They can't get any worse. Mm. So it's it's kind of an easy enough one to start with. And they, it's Wexford, like, so they have more potential surely than what they're showing. So it kind of is a win-win um, as I said they can't, do any, they can't be doing any worse than they are doing um, but he'll he'll look at that now he'll, he'll go in and he'll yeah, he'll try and build blocks like from from, from early but again it, it all comes into to buy-in but you'd imagine guys would be inspired kind of by I was inspired like the minute the minute I came in and I seen Paul Galvin was managing that team I had a pep in my step like yeah. and you know when he's talking about breaking ball or when he's talking about anything you're going to listen to him because not only is he a really interesting guy and does he make his meshes really clear but like he's Paul Galvin like so if you can't listen to that you know if you can't get inspired by that then where what hope do you have it's going to be a fascinating subplot next year uh, we have a grand show today Pat uh, later on we're going to be talking to Joe Leppard tell the people who Joe Leppard is Joe Lepper is uh, one of the guys behind the Fantasy Football Scout mm. uh, website in the UK, which, with the Premier League coming back next weekend, uh, and more importantly, fantasy leagues coming back. Well, that's next the thing. Weekend. Yeah, that, that's Far what, what, what than the actual football. A lot of people yeah. who don't even support a team support their fantasy football yeah. team, and so Joe's going to come on and give us some tips for the season ahead. Far more important than the actual football. But first, it is All Ireland semi-final week, uh, and it's exciting now. After you know. For all that people give out about everything in life, uh, I think it's reasonable to say we probably have the best four teams in the in the semi-finals, or or at least four of the best think, five. Exciting matchups with a bit of backstory to them. That sort of thing, and the fifth best team was knocked out in the best game of the weekend. So you know we we, we can find plenty to give out about, but at, uh, at least the the outcome of it is is what you would imagine. Uh, we got Keith Duggan uh, on the line. Keith, how are you? Good, Malachi, thanks. Keith, you were in Castlebar on Saturday night. Uh, I, I, I hear tell of, you know, people being in the ground three hours beforehand and it, it looked it looked epochal. It looked everything that we, we imagined it would be. Yeah, well, I wasn't one of those people who was there three <laughs> hours beforehand, so I'll have to take their word for it. But I was there uh, relatively early by, by my own standards. Um, and it was... It was uh, it was. It was. It was great. I remember just driving up through, um, dri- dri- driving up through Clare Morris there, and just the rain was constant and getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And by the time you reached Castle Bar, 
Um, it was just a kind of a pitiful sight, all these kind of pilgrims <laughs> walking through the rain, parking their cars sort of a mile or two outside town in some cases. And yeah, the, the, the ground was, I mean, there was a brilliant atmosphere there despite the weather. Mm. But I remember seeing, I just happened to uh, be coming through uh, the car park there when the Donegal coach arrived. It was escorted through and you couldn't really see in except the, the blue lights of the, the two, the the cavalcade, the two, uh, the two police bikes and it just looked you just kind of felt worried for Donegal at that moment you know if you're if you're mm. from Donegal because uh <laughs> it just looked they were walking into a trap and and so it proved did you feel Keith that um it was one of those games that Donegal underperformed or is it simply a question of mayor damn good especially in rain at getting teams in a headlock and just not letting them perform yeah i think it was just a sort of perfect storm of 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 kind of um just, just just a bad scenario f- for them. They they did underperform to a degree, but they weren't allowed to perform. That, that's the thing. And I mean, you meant like we spoke about the weather. You just knew beforehand it wasn't going to suit them. They're just so light and they move sharply. And you know they you know they've been running this very kind of intricate kind of passing game based on based on you you know just running oblique angles and whatnot. And you could just see that fall into pieces. Um, in, in, in an environment like that it really felt like a sort of a you know just a horrible league day except it was 20 degrees instead of three degrees do you know um so yeah once that that first 20 25 minutes uh i, I don't know if how much of it you saw but they were just they were just pulverized mm. from right through every line they weren't they were just knocked out of their sort of equilibrium and they never really recovered and i think that's sort of what that that was the reason that they missed those series of wides in the second half as well. They had they missed five out of six shot attempts in a row, another drop short. There were scores they were just getting all year and would have pushed them back into the lead, but they just they were sort of just a little bit rushed and a little bit under pressure and they were just they were just out of sorts by that stage. Eamon, it's it's interesting that a team that can can win back to back Ulster titles, um and you know, do it well. Like beat all the all the good teams up there. Well, like and, and in, including Tyrone this year, and then get to a game against Mayo, and you see the the physical gap between these two. Like it it was it was such a such a rude awakening for them. And I guess that's when people talk about you know why Mayo are in with a shout this coming weekend, if they are. That's what they talk about. That level of of just sort of grown men, hardness, physicality that they had that, that Donegal hadn't. Yeah, yeah. The physicality, they're the only, Mayo are the only team physically that are able for, for Dublin and they have been for the last number of years. I think even seeing that in the Kerry match, that even though Kerry were the better team, Mayo were physically still, you know, they're, they're very imposing. Um, and I think Keith is right in, in his, well, he is right, and as far as Mayo didn't allow Donegal to play their best. But my worry about Donegal all year was that when you're playing that well early in the year and you don't have a squad as with as much depth as Dublin have, like it's very hard to, to maintain that week in, week out. Like they hadn't that was the first bad game that they that they played and they're out. So you're trying to maintain form throughout you're trying to maintain form throughout 
the year and it's just it's a, it's a very hard thing to do as I said unless you can mix, uh, mix and match um, players and you've got like massive competition and they did try and do that there was always a couple of changes here and there but especially then with Owen Bond's Gallagher, Gallagher's injury and the two McGee's then struggling you know they, they just didn't have the depth I think and and it is kind of harsh on them that was the first bad game they played and they're out but it's just timing you've got to get your timings right there's a reason why Dublin put no effort into the league and you know they kind of teeter through Leinster um, but you can't do that if you're an Ulster team you just can't do that you don't have that luxury If we do uh, look ahead from there Keith so Mayo uh, having a week off definitely I think probably helped helped them last week we've seen them play Dublin before and we're talking about their physicality what chance do you give them? Um it, it like, would stump you, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, well, I mean, this is the thing. It depends what the. Uh, it's it, it sort of it, it it depends what what you're basing it on. If you go by sort of age and what they've what they've gone through this season alone, and just maybe just basic sort of talents up front, then obviously you give them very little chance. But you 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 can't really use those yardsticks when you're talking about Mayo because. They, they sort of defy logic and that's 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 what they thrive on the thing about Mayo going into this game is that that that, that squad and James Horan they'll have themselves absolutely convinced that they're going to win this game hmm. they won't they won't they won't be they won't have a, even a scintilla of doubt you know very few teams have that when they play Dublin I think very very few teams as in deep down believe they're going to win Mayo know that and I think Dublin and Jim Gavin also know that Mayo feel that. And that sort of changes the rules of engagement straight away. Mm. And they do have some very, very good um, just match-up man markers. And they do, they hit very hard. They it, It's sore to play Mayo. Um, and they look, weirdly enough, against Donegal, that old sort of, you know, like there was always that sort of sense that they might just make some tremendous defensive gaff. Yes, I felt that the last night. They just looked that wee bit sort of tighter and mm. more sort of sort of better organised. It may be that the likes of, you know, Colin Boyle, etc., just aren't breaking forward as much anymore. Mm. You know that they're just staying at home. And Aidan O'Shea certainly, he was just dropping back, almost playing as a sort of an auxiliary centre half back at times. And Shamie O'Shea as well. They just look very very solid. Now I know Crow Park's bigger. It's, it's going to be it's going to be more difficult to replicate that. So. I do give them a chance because because they give themselves a chance, you know. I think it's such a fascinating game. Like I, the 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 beguiling nature of the of the Mayo story always makes you makes you go into a game like this, kind of going, well, you know, <laughs> it it would be the obvious next uh, narrative uh, twist, wouldn't it? That yeah. that, that they and, and of course the narrative twist after that is that they lose the final. Oh, but we, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they, but I do think that there are some some things that they are doing better now than they have done in other years. Oddly, one of the things that they've stopped doing well compared to what they've done in other years. In other years, they had stopped this squander mania, and they have gone back to it a little bit here. Like, just sometimes, and sometimes it's as simple as just not taking the last pass. Like Lee Keegan's miss the other day was just, just manic. And and look, that manic 
frenzy is is where they live and it's what what the great stuff is about them you know but like god almighty take the next take the the, the last pass as keith as you were saying in in your report the other night like there was no more appropriate ending to the game than Fionn McDonough's uh, was it Fionn McDonough or James Carr had the had the last it shot was, for the goal? Was, yeah, it was Fionn McDonough. Fionn uh, McDonough. <laughs> like this this run from the ends of the air, this brilliant run, <laughs> and and the entire the entire stand <laughs> on its feet, you know, um, just loving it, and then. You know, and of, and of course really he had to try and put shot. it. In, yeah, of course he had to try and put it in the bottom corner, bottom corner instead of tapping net. it but, over. You know, but the thing was, everyone in the crowd they were kind of roaring, laughing. They were yeah, loving I know. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just wondering if, like, you know, it's as if a stat was sent, or as if a memo went round through the squad, just saying, you know, ignore, ignore the stats. You know, mm. just just have a go. Yeah. If, if you fancy, just like very early on, Chris Barrick again came. They're, they're playing the other side uh, mm. in the first half came just storming up in front of the stand and just hit this kind of crazy right foot shot, shot on the yeah. run yeah. which you know sailed over the bar <laughs> and you're thinking right they're just they don't care they're just gonna if they see the posts and they fancy they're just gonna have a go and well and good if it goes over they do have that, and it is it is a flaw. But some of the other things that they have they they have kind of learned from over the years, I think, are being put into action. Like I think now, there's these are these are always you know opinions. But I think Horan looks a bit a bit sharper on the line than than he did in in his first incarnation. Um, I think like like something like the other day. It was very obvious that that when Michael Murphy went in full forward, he you know and and the penalty. You know, you can call yeah. it one way or the other, but mm-hmm. the the real point of it was that he had Keegan beaten to that ball, uh, and he had he had first position on him. Um, Horan didn't didn't wait around to see Lee Keegan taken for another goal in two points. He put he he made his switch yeah. fairly soon after that, which is so different to if you go back to Kieran Donahue in the twenty fourteen semi final. They sort of trusted Jer Cafferkey. He's our guy. He'll he'll find his way through this, and like so. So even just little things like that, that that sort of decisiveness, I think is something that that they have that they've improved on over the years. Yeah, and even you know, also once once Neil McGee was confirmed out. I mean, if ever was a day was designed by yeah. God for Neil McGee, that was it. <laughs> that, that Saturday night, those kind of stinking conditions, but he was gone. And there was just this sort of um, void in the Donegal full back line, and they exploited that all, all, all evening long. And that goal that um, that Killian O'Connor got, you know, I don't know whether that was a pass or a shot by Jason Doherty. It was um, definitely a shot. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, it still it looped in over behind, like you know, Paddy McGrath. He, he was having a good game, but he was he was you know he was he was fronting Killian O'Connor. And there was always that vulnerability there. And you just feel if McGee had been there, you know, he's kind of a stay-at-home fullback that that ball would have been dealt with. And there was just a, there was a few other instances as well where they were just, yeah, they were, they were, they were, sh- they were sharp to exploit whatever, whatever vulnerabilities were there. And they really went after, like that was a very young uh, half-forward line Donegal had, Ned O'Donnell, Jimmy Brennan, Kieran Thompson. And they really, really just swallowed swallowed them up you know as a as a unit there was just this you look at those times when you were looking out in the field and you couldn't really see that line do you know what i mean it was it was just engulfed by 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 mayo shirts um so i mean look he's more experienced than he was when he started off they all are so um 
that's that's possibly the case and they're going to have to come up with something to to try and make make uh try and knock Dublin out of their stride a little bit as well. Eamon, the last line of Maliki's match report from Oma on Saturday, uh, or sorry for, sorry for Sunday's game, was, and now let's never talk of this again, because the whole game just felt like a, a nothing, really. Did Was there anything that we learned about Dublin from that game, or is are it you, even worth are you, mentioning? Are you about to talk about it again? <laughs> <laughs> what game? What game? Um, <laughs> Yeah, like watching it, I literally felt like, I, yeah, I was just watching Jim McConnelly, really. Like, uh, you're just watching to see what he's going to do, how he's moving. Like, y- you kind of felt like you were being fooled by watching anything else. Like, fair enough, if that game was earlier in the year, you'd be like, oh, I wonder what Tyrone's, if they've got anyone coming through or if Dublin have anyone coming through. But at this stage of the year, <laughs> like someone would have to be absolutely amazing in a game like that. To but even the Connolly thing was a, was, was a, Chimera, is that what that word is? It was, it was chimera, a, a is chimera, it? Whatever, yeah. whatever, but it was false, like, because, like, there was one five minute period where a couple of us in the press box were going, hang on, is anybody actually playing on him? Uh, and we, we actually stopped following the play because it was the kind of game where you can just kind of go, all right, somebody else will get the scores. And we we're going, Tyrone are matching up man for man around the field, except Dermot Conley. They, they are literally deciding that when Dublin have the ball or even when Tyrone have the ball, nobody is around him. Because um, we've worked, we tried to work out three or four times who is actually supposed to be his man. Yeah. And there was, they, they just decided to have a spare man and to leave Dublin, to leave Connolly as Dublin's spare man. And you were kind of going, right. So not only have these two teams made 28 changes from their last game between them, uh, but they are also deciding to Tyrone are also deciding to leave the only real creative uh, kind of thrusting force in the Dublin team on his own and allowing him to kind of spray balls around the place the only thing I could come up with was the fact that they were Hart basically decided well if we meet these if we meet them in a final and Connolly is playing then we're not going to show what we're going to do with right, him yeah. in the final. That that was the only thing that made any sense. But even that just kind of fed into what a total ungame it was. Like because it was just there, there was there was nothing real about he, it. He is kind of a very even with it being his first game back. Like he's a very physical player. Like so oh, yeah. in a game where it's that flat, uh, and like a player is ty- a lad coming in on the Tyrone team. You know, a lot of lads, I say, wouldn't fancy pushing up on him. You know, you put your hand on him, you'd fairly get an elbow back. Like, and it just felt like one of those where they just weren't bothered having but that you think of, you confrontation. Think of Con- yeah, but you think of Connolly in his pomp uh, and the serious teams when they tried to play against Dublin. What was their their first first order of business was, yeah. we're tagging Connolly for the whole day. We're annoying him. Mm. We're trying to get him to react. We're standing, we're standing on his toe. We're making sure that he isn't the driver of the game. And this was the complete opposite of that. This was yeah. here, Dermot. Welcome back to to uh, playing football. Uh, knock yourself out there. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. And he still managed to get himself yeah, sent uh, to the line. I'm, the level of hilarity that went around <laughs> Oma when Connolly managed to get himself a black card was it was <laughs> off the charts. Yeah, I, I think I, there for his range of passing and some of the passes he was putting, he was spreading it, it is ridiculous. Like and. His point off his left foot, how you know the way he took it. Literally, he was stepping on. Like he's just such a natural footballer, mm. but he did look kind of a little bit 
leggy, leggy at times and stuff. Like he, he's obviously not going to be as flying as as he was. And you have to look at the type of match it was. But a lot of people are saying, you know, that that'll be him now for the summer. I I definitely think that he'd be on the twenty sixth the next day, and that he'll if. I could see, yeah. I could see him in a tight game. I could yeah. see them Call using him. him. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I think the, the if there was anything interesting in, on Sunday, Pat, it was the players who may have played themselves out of Dublin's twenty six rather than into it. Yeah. I Rory think O'Carroll, for instance. Rory O'Carroll is definitely like this was his first start uh, since the twenty fifteen All Ireland final, and he, God Almighty, he just looked at sixes and sevens. He just. Just did his positioning looked off. He just looked so far away from where he was supposed to be. Um, I think either one of Paddy Andrews or Kevin McManaman may have played themselves out. Like they, they're just they're not the the kind of dip in and dip out force that that they were. So it, it'll be interesting when it comes to Dublin what what that means. Bernard Brogan did himself no harm though. I, I would say so. Yeah, I I I think. I think you could see the desperation of him to get himself into the Just into the twenty six. Like he took he took an awful blow to the jaw uh, near the end. Like and it was the mo- it was the most intensity that anybody had shown all day. Like you know you could see that there was a desire in him to make it to get there. Kerry have sort of ambled into this a little bit unnoticed, Keith, haven't they? They've it's sort of a perfect yeah, little cover that. for them. You think they'll hate that, do you? No, no, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but sorry, yeah, they, 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 they did. Yeah, I mean that game. It was, it was. Um, I, I, I didn't really get to see much, you know, beyond beyond highlights. Um, it sort of went. It almost went unnoticed because the assumption was that Kerry would win it, and and, and so it proved. Yeah, and I mean this is sort of perfect for them. They're 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 in the last four. Um, all the focus is on this Saturday night game between Dublin and Mayo and just allows them to, to I mean, prepare for what is an equally intriguing game, it, it should be said, uh, Tyrone and Kerry. The thing about Kerry so far this year is it sort of feels like they haven't really been put in a melting pot yet and you'd imagine that Tyrone are going to do that on Sunday. Would that be fair to say? Oh yeah, I, 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 absolutely. Um, it's... it's it, the strange, the strange thing now for 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 both for both those teams and squads and managers is, it felt it it sort of felt like they've been on a wee bit like a sort of a wee bit on cruise control over the past while, um, like even in the Donegal game in Crow Park, Curry looked they looked fairly comfortable, um, so this is going to be this is going to be a sort of a, just a heightened atmosphere and obviously it's a knockout game. And if one team isn't at the pitch of it quite early, they could find themselves in trouble. The interesting thing with um, Tyrone playing against Kerry, Eamon, is that um, Kerry's Kerry look to be vulnerable at the back. I think I think of of the four teams that are left, they look to be the one that that is liable to to for another team to sort of get get a run on. Like obviously, Dublin can get a run on anybody, so that. The, you could say that about Mayo too, but I, it Kerry's vulnerability looks to be at the back, and it especially seems to have been against Cork and against Donegal, where they gave up big scores to teams that are running at them. Mm. Like that is going to be Tyrone's game on Sunday. You know they're going to be, or yeah, it is on Sunday. They're going to be there. That's their thing. They're going to be running at them, and that's something that Kerry need to work out. Yeah, I think Tyrone are going to go right back to their last year's template. Like they're going to clog up that back line. And they're going to counter, and they're going to carry the ball. And yeah, it's going to. 
like it's kind of trouble like that the Kerry are trying to get men behind the ball and push up but like Tyrone are very good ball carriers and they have a lot of support play so when you do that you know you're, you're carrying a risk like that's why a lot of teams will just leave men back but Kerry won't do that they're not going to change what they're doing so it is going to create chances um, for, for this Kerry team I think it's like literally you're talking about a young Kerry team coming through like this is the perfect test mm. like if they can get through an All-Ireland semi-final against Tyrone then you can't really start saying that they're that they're, right, they're then they're they're contenders then, because that's that's the ultimate test you know against a, a Tyrone team they're going to have numbers back that are going to test you and off the ball every single way they're going to do whatever they need to do to win, so if Kerry can come through that you know you're, you're really starting to say that them a lot of them lads are coming of age, um but defensively you have you have to worry about them but that full forward line, even with Tyrone lads hanging out of them which they will be. You still think that they have enough quality for it to be an end to end? I think that'll be an end to end, like kind of. There's gonna be nothing in that. Well, because the other thing, Keith, that like for Kerry when they're sort of building towards this th- through the week, you know, Dublin have shown what the template is against Tyrone in Croke Park over the past few years. It's patience. It's uh, putting man markers on Peter Hart, Matty Donnelly, and I guess Cahill McShane and. Otherwise, being patient in possession, drawing them out and and picking them off. Like, whether Kerry are advanced enough at this stage to do what Dublin have been able to do the last two years is another matter. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, the other thing is that, you know, Tyrone, no more than Cork and Donegal, they do have, they do have good ball carriers. They do have guys who can just run directly at you and punish you that way. So, you know, that's something they're going to be facing again. Um and I think, you know, uh, equally at the other end, they're just going to try and close off all avenues to David Clifford and probably put somebody on Stephen O'Brien and try and, try and you know, minimise his influence because he's really done untold damage, I think, for, for, for Curry this, this summer. Well, we have two games to go before we get to an All-Ireland final. Um, it's going to be a fascinating weekend. Yeah, there are going to be two cracking games yeah. actually, aren't they? When you, when you talk about them, you suddenly realise how finely poised both of them are. Really, is anyone back at Mayo? I don't know. I I I was looking. I, I as I was saying earlier, you know, the 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 sort of the natural storyteller in you kind of goes, yeah, this could be a game, and then you look at the odds, and the spread is six points. Like six points is a bit of a hiding. So the, the you know the bookies kind of think, yeah, you're all right, <laughs> think what you like, lads, but you know this is going to be over <laughs> a good bit before the end. But your luck, we will see. Keith Duggan, thank you very much for joining us, uh, and thank you, Eamon. Thanks, thanks, lads. The Premier League is back on Friday night and more importantly, Pat, the uh, fantasy football is back very soon. We're doing our draft when? We're doing our draft tonight. We're, we're blowing the continuity of the podcast now, but yes, we're, <laughs> we're, we're doing our, our draft pick tonight amongst our group of friends. Uh, this has taken off insanely over the years. I remember... Um, uh, the Irish Indo used to run a fantasy football league back in like the mid nineties, when Brian Roy and Rural Fox were the mainstays of my uh, fantasy football teams, and then it disappeared until the sort of the early two thousand. And did you have to pick it by phoning in? Oh, you had to phone yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, you had to phone I, into the I, newspaper. I think I did yeah. that one year as well. It was impossible to do. Uh, but ever since the sort of around the start of the the two thousands, the fantasy Premier League uh, has come along, and it's a, a worldwide phenomenon. And uh, joining us to talk about it and what to do uh, is Joe Lepper, a journalist with Fantasy Football Scout. Joe, how are you keeping? 
Hello. Um, yeah, I'm fine, thanks. And uh, yeah, preparing for the new season. And thanks for having me on the show. I even even a small hint of what you said there. Preparing for the new season. What does that entail for somebody as deep in the weeds of this stuff as you are? It's, it takes a lot of work. Um, so I have I have kind of two roles really. One is I'm a fancy Premier League manager, like around five to six million other mm. people, possibly six to seven million other people fancy playing fancy Premier League this season. Um, and I'm also, um, as you say, a journalist with Fancy Football Scout. So I also um, produce lots of content for them, looking at videos and podcasts like yourselves and, um, yeah, hopefully giving some good advice. Well, in theory. Yeah, because it is fascinating, the, the website, which I think was started by Mark Southern about about a decade ago, and it's just mushroomed over the years with the amount of people involved in it because of the interest and because of the amount of people that are willing to get into the weeds of fantasy football. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as I said, the the, the amount of people playing fancy Premier League game has completely snowballed. I mean, I, I started around 12 years ago. Um, I think there was around 1 million, which I thought was a lot then. Um, and it's last season, 5 to 6 million. This season, it could even top 7 million, I think. Could even be further. Who knows? Um, but it's a massive, massive um, uh, popular uh, um, way of enjoying life, really, playing fancy uh, Premier League. Um, for example, with fancy football scouts, well, you mentioned obviously it snowboard. Yeah, when it started, it was originally uh, Mark Southerns. It was him on his own, and it snowballed over the years. More people have been taken on, and and much more content and various things um, uh, like podcasting and those types of things have been added to it. And it's absolutely huge. You get tens of thousands of people commenting every day and when the um, when the the season starts or just before a game week deadline for example you can get vast numbers of people looking at the site and there's so much information out there and uh, yeah fancy football scout is is there for that uh, thank thank you tell me theorize for me what what do you think explains the the popularity of fantasy football it is because i, I like it now i'm not a gambler mm. But I am sort of a gambler, so I don't gamble with money, and that's what. And there's a lot of people like that. They like to take risks in life. They like to go safe with decisions in life, and the fancy Premier League enables you to do that without risking your your house and home on it. Um, so um, it's a non-gambling way. Obviously, that some money changes hands in terms of work mini leagues, but mostly I think people do it for the, the glory of it. They want to get a highest rank as possible they want to beat the they want to get higher than the the guy sitting next to them at work for example or, or their friends down the pub um and that's 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 the appeal to it really um and also like life it's got highs and lows and people like that really. i i do remember around when I, when we started getting into it around sort of oh five oh six remember those years when like man united were winning the league by easter and there, there, there were Title races were just weren't really a thing. Um, I got into it sort of uh, full full time is the wrong way, but but more so then, Pat, because it was nearly it was nearly more interesting than the actual football. Now I don't think that holds anymore. I think the football now. I think the the, the top six teams in in the Premier League are you know the the best footballers are in the in the world. Some of them are there. The best managers in the world. The storylines are 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 more fascinating now than they were whatever twelve thirteen years ago. But fancy football still endures and and is bigger than ever. 
it's, it's almost like I was going to say it's like a like a t- think of it like a TV series. Um, you get good series, bad mm. series, good seasons, bad seasons, and um, and I think it just changes each season. Uh, this season, you've got a whole new cast. You've got a whole new cast of actors coming in, and and a whole bunch of established names like Eden Hazard. They're no longer here. We don't know what to do, and uh, so there's a lot of unknowns as we go into the first game week, and and I think that's what. Um, appeals to people as well and that's what keeps your interest as you said when you started Manchester United were winning everything when I was a kid Liverpool winning everything Um, now Manchester City are doing well but so are Liverpool and so are teams like Wolves as well Um, so there's lots of intrigue there even Leicester and win the Premier League. <laughs> um, so, uh, Joe, not, not anymore, Joe. Let's let, let, come on. <laughs> <laughs> let's um, uh, look at it. Uh, let, let's get down to brass tacks here. We, we basically all want help with our with getting our fancy teams together. If you were to give us a couple of sort of basic guidelines, common sense rules for the season ahead, what would you what would you advise people to do? Okay, well, I'm I'm known on Fantasy Football Scout as one of those types of managers that looks at st- uh, statistics, looks at the figures behind uh, a player. So it's not just what they're doing on the pitch. It's what's behind it, what it may indicate about their future performance. So keep an eye on that if you can. Um, uh, that's a good way of doing it. So, for example, um, if you're looking at strikers, obviously you want them to score goals. And it's quite fairly evident to see whether they've scored goals or not over the last month. But you're also looking at things like figures like shots in the box, for example, or shots on target. You don't want them just to shoot at goal. You want them to be really close and really accurate as well. And big chances is good for that. That's something uh, Opta uh, assess, and they uh, deem a chance when you're shooting on goal as being good um, or big. And so they're the types of figures, they're the types of statistics you need to look at as well. And it goes on like that. So for midfielders, there's statistics like big chances as well, um, chances created. These are all looking at um, how uh, likely they are to assist the goal. And that's what you're looking for. Really, You're trying to predict the future a little bit, but basically on sort of what's already happened. Um, but I would also say things like mm, start the season by looking at fixture blocks. Don't think of your team when you're starting game week one. Don't think of it in terms of, oh, I like this player. I'm going to have them for 38 uh, you know, game weeks. Um, but you're not actually going to be doing that at all. Just think of it in fixture blocks. So early on, look at it, uh, who's got good fixtures early on. And gradually towards the end of that run, you can think about changing some of those players. So, for example, Everton this season, Everton, Liverpool, Watford and Palace have the best fixtures. So look to players who play for them as well. Um, that's, you know. That, that's the kind of thing you should be looking at. Think of it in blocks. Don't think of it in terms of the whole season. Just think of it in terms of August and September. I think that's, that, that is vital advice uh, for the very simple reason that, uh, um, as you say, Joe, there are whatever, six, seven million uh, uh, entrants. Uh, I would say by sort of early October, the you, you can say about two to three million of them have decided, ugh, I can't be arsed with this anymore because if you don't make a good start, you can you can you can lose uh, enthusiasm for it very very bloody quickly. It's true, it, and and uh, now some of the season, and I've been playing this for twelve seasons, and I'm, I've been lucky enough to finish quite mm. high a number of times. But I, but I've also had bad seasons, like everyone has, and I've had some good starts and bad starts. And the bad starts, yeah, it really gets you down. When you're looking at the rankings and you're you're one millionth, two millionth in the world. Um, by game week eight or so, it can be very demoralising. But yeah, stick to the tried and tested um, 
you know, uh, tactics, look at fixture blocks really, and uh, don't try and do anything too um, hasty, like uh, going for like um, risky players. You know, look for tried and tested players. This is really crucial early on as well. You know, feel free to have one or two places places for a risk. So, for example, at the moment, we don't know who the number 10 for Chelsea is. Will it be Ross Barkley? Will it be Mason Mount? We don't know. It's going to be one of them. Um, so you could take a risk and, and bet it's one of them. Or you could just maybe wait a couple of weeks and find out and maybe have a place in your team so you can go for maybe another risk in that place. And just think of it like that, really. Um, and the other thing is build a spine in your team. I'm sure you probably want to know which players to get rid of, but I'll just say initially, build a spine in your team. Think about captains and think about getting clean sheets, and goals and assists, really basic stuff like that. Well, seen as you've mentioned it now, um, give us three players that you'd build uh, and your, the spine of your team around. Yeah, well, as I said, captains are crucial. With, within the fancy Premier League game, your captain scores double um, when you choose them for that week. So, um, we have a, a, a function on the uh, fancy, uh, fancy Football Scout website where you look at rate my team and you look at things like six game week projections. So you're trying to guess who's going to score and who is top of that at the moment. Well, it's the two players I think you should have immediately, Salah and Sterling. They look like the best captaincy choices. They've both got good fixtures. They both can do well in bad fixtures as well. Um, they're just two players you're happy to captain. Say one gets injured, captain the other. And that's your spine of your team. Um, the rest is trimmings around that, really. And amongst that trimming, so you want to do a third player, um, I would go for a Liverpool defender. Take your pick which one. Go for one that looks uh, the most nailed on to play. So it could be Robertson, it could be Van Dyke, it could be uh, Alexander-Arnold. And go for them. And there you've got three players. So you're, you're getting towards getting a third of your, your first eleven. Uh, together there and you've got a nice spine and think of it that way really and look at those fixtures as well I said mentioned Liverpool they've got Norwich first Southampton got Arsenal that could be a clean sheet uh, Burnley and Newcastle after that that looks like a whole bunch of clean sheets for Liverpool there um, tap into it what are the stupid mistakes that we make I know the stupid mistakes I make but you, you, you'd be able to talk in general terms um, well, I suppose in general, it's picking bad players and who is a bad player. And it's, it's spotting who is a bad player and a good player. Um, a bad player is one that is not nailed on to start. So we don't know where they're going to play. They take up, and it's ones that take up a place and offer nothing as well that um, fancy Premier League uh, scores highly in. So, so, for example, a bad player, I think, is a very popular player at the moment. Mason Greenwood, 4.5 million striker for Manchester United, 14.5% owned. But I don't think he's going to play. Mm. <laughs> he's going to barely play. He might get the odd cameo towards the end. And so he's basically just using up a striker space, really. They already have Martial. They've got Rashford. They've got Sanchez, who's injured at the moment, could come back. Uh, you've got James. You've got Mata. The list just goes on. Got loads of competition for his places. Um, as I said, a role that FPL doesn't score highly as well. That's what people make the mistake for. So they go for something like, say, a defensive midfielder. Mm. They go for a tough tackler. A player that is great for the team. They're just hopeless in FPL. Um, so a player like Kante at uh, Chelsea, he's 5.0. Almost one in 10 currently own him. Um, he defends the back line, basically. breaks up play. He scored uh, one goal in each of his uh, first three seasons. And last season, he scored four. Um, but Lampard, the new manager at Chelsea, has already praised his defensive midfield abilities. That looks great, and it's great for Chelsea, but it's not so good for fantasy Premier League managers. And the third player, I'm just picking him out here, is just basically, in general, 
newly promoted teams, they have a striker who does well in the championship. Will they do well in the Premier League? Some do. Many of them don't. And so I've just picked out poor old Billy Sharp. Now, I've just picked him out in terms of he could come good, but initially, don't go for a player like that. I was, I was um, sure you were going to say the guy Pocky is or, uh, from Pookie, Norwich. Yeah, Norwich yeah. Yeah. I, and I would include Pookie in that as well. Um, luckily, for fancy Premier League managers, Pookie has, Norwich have quite bad fixtures. And Sheffield United's fixtures are a little bit better early on. But don't be tempted by them. Have a look at Billy Sharp for maybe a game week or two. Just see how he does. And maybe he'll do nothing, in which case avoid him. But it's really annoying when you already own those players and they just do nothing and they stink up your team and you've got to wonder how you're going to get rid of them and you've got to use a transfer to do that. Best avoid, I think. So, yeah, I've picked out Paul Mason Greenwood. I've picked out Kante at Chelsea and Billy Sharp as those three types of players avoid. I like the, your description of it as being like a kind of a good season or a bad season of television because um, last year defenders turned out to be really worth the money that we paid for them. But the previous season, not so much. So this year, a lot of people are signing Robertson and Van Dijk and Laporte and stuff like that. Uh, but it's one of those situations, again, where essentially five to ten games into the season, we'll see the shape of it and we'll know whether that was a good call or not. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I always start the season, um, and considering I'm doing this for 12 years and as part of my job is to advise people, about fantasy Premier League, um, I actually start the season saying, I know nothing. <laughs> we know nothing. We know nothing at the moment. Um, we can guess. Um, but what I like to do with my team is to have price points. So look at the sorts of players you might want to bring in. And can you do it within two moves? And so assume that you need an exit plan for pretty much everyone you've got. So that's why I recommended the Liverpool defenders. Say it goes wrong. Well, they're the most expensive in the game. So you can get any other defender you want. If you get Robertson in, you can get anyone else you want. Um, so that's why I like Salah and Sterling as well for the captaincy. If you get it wrong, you can get any other player you want, any other midfielder you want as well. Um, so for an example, I've got Vardy in my team at the moment. I quite like Vardy, but I also like Vardy because I only need two million more to maybe get Harry Kane if I wanted Harry Kane. So I see it like that, really. Think of it in terms of um, they might all go wrong. Uh, they might be good, but um, yeah, prepare for the worst. Preparing for the worst sounds. I think that I may uh, may call my team that, uh, considering how bad uh, I've been over the last few years. Pat, on the other hand, has won the Irish Times League uh, two out of the last three years, so uh, he's uh, flying high. Joe, thank you very much uh, for your wisdom and your patience with us, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Thank you and uh, good luck with Indeed. the season. Uh, thank you very much to Keith and Eamon who were on earlier talking about the guy. Thanks to Jenny and JJ behind the desk. Thank you, Pat. Thanks, Matt. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks very much, folks.